Turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. should be one right in front of you in a red, with a red cover, I, I believe. One is a hymnal, and the other is the, is the uh, Bible for you. Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Well, while you're searching for that, I'm going to tell you a little story. There's a story about a young woman who went away to college. And uh, in the fall, she left her plants and her goldfish in the care of her mother, who had a tendency to be forgetful. Some of us may know somebody like that with what we call a brown thumb, not a green thumb, but a brown thumb. It seems like whatever they touch in the plant world dies instantly. This mother had one, very brown thumb. And the plants that the daughter had left behind in the care of her mother died at the end of the month. The mother dutifully broke the bad news to her daughter. And when the young woman called a week later, her mother confessed that the goldfish had died also. There was a long pause, and then in a fearful voice, the girl said, How's dad? <laughs> Seriously, <clears throat> though, we get our priorities mixed up, don't we? And the true meaning of this Christmas, Christmas season gets lost. But the truth is that the true meaning of Christmas is not found in the wrappings, but in the gift. And you know who helps us to get the true meaning of Christmas correct? It's one of my favorites every year, called the Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, I know it's kind of getting a bad rap uh, this year, but I'm telling you, it's still one of my favorites. And in this Christmas program that used to be broadcast, I'm not sure if it still is every year, but faithfully every year, uh, dutiful Charlie Brown goes out and picks out the lonely tree with only a few branches as a, as a tree and the gang's, uh, for the gang's Christmas program. And when he brings back the tree, everyone mocks him for picking such a lousy tree. It bends over and the needles all fall off, and, which makes Charlie Brown all the more depressed. And in despair, he tells us that he doesn't know what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. It is then that his, fr his friend Linus informs us all what is the true meaning of Christmas. And that's our passage today. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, beginning in verse 8. Let's look at that together, shall we? In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, <clears throat> in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. This, folks, is what it's all about. It is about the gift. It is about God with us. It is about God coming to a group of lowly, disenfranchised shepherds with the greatest news in all of human history. But why shepherds? I mean, of all the people God could have chosen to proclaim the wonderful news to, why did he use shepherds? Well, using that passage we just read, let's examine the three stages in the life of a shepherd that describe the role in the Christmas story. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, in all the busyness, all the hectic and frantic pace that we move at this time of year, really all year, but especially this time of year. Father, I pray that we would not move so fast that we would forget the real meaning of Christmas. It's so easy to get caught up in all the business and all the commercialism and forget about the greatest gift that man has ever received, the gift of our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, now prepare our hearts as we look through this passage here this morning. Give us eyes to see, Lord, ears to hear, and hearts to receive your wonderful truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Let's look at that. Let's see the first stage of uh, the shepherd's role in the Christmas story. And the first stage of the shepherd's story, the shepherd's role in the Christmas story, is the disrespected stage. The disrespected stage. These shepherds were a fellowship of the forgettable. More appropriately, they were the marginalized and the forgotten out of society. They had no status in their culture at all. They were uneducated, they didn't smell very good, and they were considered low class. And during Jesus' time, being a shepherd was pretty much a dead-end job. There was really no room for advancement. That's pretty much, if you were born into that shepherding uh, livelihood, that's where you were going to be. Absolutely no hope for advancement. They had little to no chance of doing anything different the rest of their life. And as a result, you wouldn't want your daughter to marry a shepherd. Your hope would be that your daughter would marry better than a shepherd. These were the people that were considered outcasts and misfits. And they had a, these shepherds had a hard and thankless job. And it was dangerous. It was their responsibility to protect the sheep from robbers and from wild animals. But in the scheme, the big scheme of things, they just weren't considered all that important. And as far as spiritual matter, matters were concerned, they were actually considered unclean because of the work that they did. They couldn't even participate in feasts and holy days. They were left outside of all of that. And in regard to society matters, shepherds were infamous for thievery. Thus, they were not permitted to give testimony in legal proceedings. In the musical, The Child of Promise by Stormy O'Martin, the song, Nothing Ever Happens to a Shepherd, captures what it would have been like for shepherds. She writes this, It's cold outside in this godforsaken place. We're stuck here with a thousand sheep. While life is exciting for everybody else, the highlight of our day is sleep. 
It's lonely out here in this isolated job. Our position is without esteem. We're socially challenged. We're society's scourge. We're not exactly every woman's dream. Shepherds have a humble purpose. Of our fate, few people care. Sometimes I wonder if God knows we exist. And if he does, he's forgotten where. Nothing ever happens to a shepherd. Life is boring as can be. While exciting things occur all over the world, nothing ever happens to me. Loneliness, weariness, and boredom characterize the life of the shepherd. So we've seen the first stage of the shepherd's role in the Christmas story was the disrespected stage. The next phase is we see in verses 9 to 14, and that's called the declaration stage. So we have the disrespected stage, and now the declaration stage. And remember in verses 9 to 14, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Well, when it comes to announcement about Jesus, who would you have told first? After all, this was the Messiah. The nation of Israel had been waiting for not 100, not 200, not 300, but 400 years to hear from God. 400 years. Four or five lifetimes. Four or five generations and nothing. No prophet coming. God not talking to anybody individually. Not speaking to the nation. Prophets had foretold of this birth of the Messiah for centuries. Matter of fact, Isaiah had talked about it about 750 years prior to the birth of Jesus. Parents had named their children Joshua, which in Hebrew, Yeshua, means God saves or God is salvation, in hopes that their child might be the promised one. This was the greatest birth of all time. So if you were God... Who would you choose to tell about this greatest birth of all time? This birth that would impact all of mankind for all time. You see, if it were us, we'd probably most likely seek out the celebrity of the day, wouldn't we? We'd kind of pick the beautiful people to announce this. In our culture, then, our choices may have included religious leaders, not that they're beautiful people, the priest at the temple, the rabbi, the synagogue officials maybe in that day. Our choices may have included secular rulers like King Herod or military leaders like Caesar himself to announce this great news. Maybe it would have been influential leaders like somebody very prominent in business and in the city and in society itself or wealthy merchants. You see, our choices and God's choices are very different though. For God intentionally chose these shepherds. I think it's fair to say the shepherds were probably not expecting this to happen. And as mentioned before, they were not exactly a spiritually minded bunch. They And, and their deepest theological discussions were probably with sheep. But this was not a random choice. God sent angels to the shepherds. Look at that again, beginning in verse 10. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly... 
there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. I like how Max Lucado expresses it this way in his book, The Applause of Heaven. An ordinary night with ordinary sheep and ordinary shepherds. And were it not for a God who loves to put on extra in front of the ordinary, that night would have pretty much gone unnoticed. The sheep would have been forgotten. The shepherds would have slept the night away. But God dances amidst the common steps of man, and that night he was indeed dancing with the stars. And the black sky exploded with brightness, and the sheep that had been silent became a chorus of curiosity, and one minute the shepherd was dead asleep. The next he was rubbing his eyes and staring into the face of an angel. This night went from ordinary to extraordinary like that. The angel came in the night because that's when the lights are best seen and that's when they are most needed. And God comes in to, as the light in the midst of darkness for the very same reason. You see, God often chooses to do his greatest work through people or things we normally think are weak or unimportant. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn to your right there a little bit in your Bible. Get past the Gospels. And then Acts, Romans, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Probably should have told you to keep your thumb in Luke, but if you didn't, you can find your way back. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Remember what Paul said. He says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble, but God, the two best words in all of Scripture, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that... No man may boast before God, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. To God, nobodies are somebodies. To God, each one needs to hear the good news. There is not one who needs it more or deserves it more. Instead, from God's viewpoint, all men need to hear the good news. It is God's desire that all men would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And yet all men and women will not. And the shepherds, those that many in society thought did not even deserve salvation, the same ones that were disrespected their entire lives, were the ones God chose to declare the greatest message in human history, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the first stage of the shepherd's role, remember, in the Christmas story was the disrespected stage. And on the second stage was the declaration stage which brings us now to the third stage in the shepherd's role in the Christmas story. And we see that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, 
in the remaining five verses, verses 15 through 20. Let's look at that again. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and round their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. You know, the first names in the guest book belong to the shepherds. When the shepherds got the news about the birth of Jesus, I like the fact that they did not come casually. It says they moved quickly upon receiving the good news. They hurried. This was such good news that one had to act on it immediately. They became the first guest to this miraculous birth. So something exciting was happening to a people that were characterized by nothing exciting ever happening. This was network-worthy news. If there had been TV back then, they would have been on the news. These social misfits, misfits were by God's design and desire the first to know and respond. And again, they were the first to know and respond according to God's design and God's desire. Now that should give us pause for a moment when we think about that. If by God's design and sovereign plan, he chose the most disenfranchised group of people in society to share the most wonderful news in history, then maybe we should connect with those that are often overlooked in our society. Some of the overlooked during that day were shepherds, but the truth that we, most, we must not miss is that God continues to identify with those who are struggling. Some are struggling physically amongst us and in our community. Some are suffering emotionally. Some are suffering spiritually. Some are suffering economically. God absolutely insists that we reach out to the overlook. For when we do, we reach out to him. And when we do not, we resist him. Turn to Matthew, just one book, or two books, I'm sorry, to your left. Go past Mark to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Remember what Jesus said? Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, we, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, 
Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. The overlooked today come in many categories. They are the elderly, the outcast, the homeless, the unappreciated, the challenged. They are the untouchable, the addicts, the diseased. They are the convicted felons, the battered wives, neglected children, the migrant workers. Essentially, essentially the overlooked are the ones we are overlooking. Just like the shepherds, all are invited to worship. All are invited to come and see. By the grace of God, each of us is welcomed here. When considering how to honor the overlooked, we usually don't need to look too far, do we? Max Lucado muses about how lepers were treated in the Old Testament, but illustrates how we do much of the same thing today. He writes, it seems harsh, doesn't it? The banishing of a leper seems unnecessary, But, of course, the ancient Near East isn't the only culture to isolate their wounded. We may may not build colonies or cover our mouths in their presence and yell, unclean, unclean. But we build other types of walls and avert our eyes. He, Proverbs 14.31, tells us, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Some years ago, David Robinson, who used to play uh, basketball in San Antonio, visited a local church. He was not a member of that church, but he showed up occasionally. You can imagine the stir that occurred when a seven-foot striking fellow walked in the auditorium. And at the end of the service, people mobbed over to him. And the pandemonium finally settled down, and he went his way. But later that same morning, a homeless person walked in sat in the back of the auditorium in the very same church. He came down the center aisle with his backpack, his ratty jeans, his torn T-shirts. His face was unshaven, and he had a distinct aroma. He walked down to the front and sat down. And the contrast struck me. When David Robinson entered, he was immediately swamped, and people wanted to see him, and they wanted to be close to him. But nobody jumped up to sit next to the homeless man. And after two or three awkward moments, one of the elders got up from his seat and sat by the man and connected with him. The message I received in my heart when I heard this story was, if you want others to see Jesus in you, whom do you connect with to demonstrate that? Jesus said, whatever you've done for the least of these, my brethren, you've also done to me. And so if we want others to truly see Jesus in us, then we should follow the example that Jesus provided and connect with those people no one else wants to connect with. And we can best demonstrate Christ-like love when we're seeking out the forgotten and the ignored, people like the shepherds, or perhaps this homeless man in church. And when we seek out the unconnected and connect them to a loving body of Christ, God doesn't give preference to any group or class. He does not discriminate on the basis of intelligence or education or wealth or profession or political power or social standing. Remember what he said in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, when he said, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And as the angel declared to the overlooked shepherds. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that's meant for all people. 
Beloved, connecting with the forgotten. For though our worship time together is ending, our opportunities for service have really just begun, haven't they? There are many people in our own city. There are many people even in our own congregation that God wants us to reach. Perhaps they're being ignored, either intentionally or unintentionally. Connect with the forgotten. Ask God to give you compassion and passion to understand the needs and then extend the loving arms of God around each other. Connect with the overlooked. See God's face on those that are ignored. Touch them with your eyes and your time and your love. It is my desire that no one from our church would ever spend another holiday alone. That we would be intentional about spending time with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just on the holidays, but throughout the year. That we would seek to build relationships that strengthen the body every opportunity we have available. And that secondly, as we grow stronger in building community together through intentional fellowship and edification, building each other up, that we would also seek opportunities to connect to those that are truly disenfranchised in our community as well. Remember, it wasn't the religious people that Christ was seeking out to share the good news. It wasn't those who society deemed as popular or important or influential. No, it was those that society deemed the least important that received the good news. Should we not follow God's leading and example here as well? Who is it here today? that you've not built a relationship with other than just greeting them at church? Who is it that we've not connected with because of a personal bias or a preconceived notion of who we believe that person is? Secondly, who is it outside of these four walls that we've attempted to connect with and show them Jesus? For many people, you may be the only Jesus they ever read. Did you catch that? For many people... You'll be the only Jesus they ever read. And they'll read about Jesus by the way you live your life and where you put your priorities. My prayer, as we begin to prepare for another year, and as we're preparing our hearts for Christmas, is that next Christmas, we won't be sitting back thinking of all those things we may have forgotten but that we will grow in faith and Christ-likeness so that we're intentional about connecting with those inside and outside of our church so that we can share in fellowship of Christ through the preaching, teaching, sharing, and living out the gospel message. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the message here today, Lord. A message we all need to be reminded of from time to time, Lord. We are so blessed as a people. We are so blessed in the country that we live in, the freedom that we have in this great country. Lord, we are blessed beyond measure, especially in comparison with the rest of the world. But yet, Lord, oftentimes we get caught up in our own little world, in our own little bubble, and we just focus on ourselves. And Lord, I pray that 
we would look beyond that. And we would grow beyond that as a body in Christ. And not just think of ourselves, not just think of those immediately next to us, but extend out further, Lord, with the love of Christ. I pray, Lord, that people would see our hearts and our minds and our actions in this body and in this community and know that we are a people who love Jesus Christ. Not just by the words we say, but by the way we live our lives as well. Father, I thank you for the greatest gift we'll ever receive at Christmas, Lord, the birth of our Savior. May that be our focus in the coming days, in the coming weeks, and in the coming year. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.